first of all, brother, I really appreciate your time. This is, um, I'm in the presence of a living legend. Thank you for having me on, Alex. It's Alex, right? That's the one. That's the one. All right. Well, thank you for having me on. And as far as living legend, I appreciate the compliment, but I, uh, I feel like I'm in phase two of my life now and I'm trying to help as many people as possible with their training, uh, in particular, their back pain, their recovery. And uh, that's where I am now. You know, I haven't lifted competitively in over three years and I really don't miss it. You know, I did it for 20 years straight, but I've learned a lot during the process. So that's where I am now, kind of in the second phase of uh, my life. I'm 42 now. I have two young daughters and I want to have a couple more children and uh, enough of destroying my body. Now I'm trying to put dollars back into my bank account when I withdrew way over for 20 plus years. What what made that transition? What made you uh, take that transition? I was just sick of it. Sick of it. Really? Sick of the, sick of the eating, the training, the mental tax it has on the rest of your life. The fact that, um, you know, if you're going to do it the best you can, you got to be myopic. So yeah, that myopic focus would take away from the rest of my life. So it was just time, it was time to do something else and a lot of stress with it. And just, I just really, it just ran its course with me. Mm. I was lucky, lucky enough to go out kind of the way I wanted, but most people won't be able to do that. So I didn't want to get greedy. I think that's a really uh, great point to make. You know, a lot of, a lot of outside folk will look at it and be like, you get to be a pro athlete or you get to do all these things and you get to eat and you get to train and you get to whatever. And it's like, do you understand the mental stress that goes under this person of like, they got to get underneath the barbell and then they got to sleep and then they got to, it's a 24 seven job. Right. And it just extracts from everything else in, in the life that it becomes, you know, health and fitness, right? So this umbrella term. Yeah. Yeah. There is no health anymore. It's just right. how, how far can we run with this uh, performance rabbit hole? Yeah, and so I still help a lot of people with their performance, but I'm I'm honest with them. I'm like, you got to understand the consequences of what you're doing, and yeah. you might pay for this later on. Um, yeah, it's not it's not uh, the, the the lifting isn't the hard part. It's getting there. It's the warm ups and it's the extra workouts and it's the recovery and it's the massages. I I talked to an NFLer a couple of years ago. And he goes, when we start losing people on the team, it isn't because they can't play anymore. They w- are not willing to do the day in and day out rehab and ice yeah. baths and showing up early for meetings. It's not the playing. It's everything you have to do to get to playing. And that was the same reason for me. It's not the lifting itself. That's easy. Yeah, Getting there is the problem and doing it in one piece and not exploding and staying sane during this time. How do you stay sane? I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. I, I struggled, struggled a lot at times. You know, if, if lifting was good, then everything was good. If lifting wasn't good, then nothing was good. So that's not that's not a way to live your life, like uh, the ups and downs of emotions. So towards the end, I got a little bit better with it. But man, it's what I started with and ran with starting when I was 17 to all the way to 40. So it just it was in my DNA, it was in my blood. and It's all I knew. But it ran its course, you know, you could still love something and kind of want to walk away from it, you know, while it's still uh, not a complete, uh, you know, black eye, you know, or you you don't completely hate it. Right. I didn't. There was a love hate towards the end, but I could still walk away with it and not walk away from it and not completely hate it. If that makes sense. 
Yeah, it makes complete sense. You know, you didn't ride it till the wheels fall off and you end up wanting to burn the bridge and not want to have anything to do with it. It's like, no, no, you can still be part of the scene. You still love it. But are you uh, grateful of not being within it? You know, being there. Yeah, being and, the and I don't have platform. pain. I'm, <laughs> I'm very fortunate. I have my, my foot hurts right now and it's a stupid stupid reason i was wearing i was doing a lot of walking i'm trying to drop body weight and everything and i just overused the tendons and ligaments in my foot and so it's sore but my back my shoulders my pecs my knees my hips everything is fine probably due to having the intervention like i did from dr mcgill in 2013 but i also trained pretty smart but it got a little bit better uh, after seeing mcgill in 2013 but I didn't go heavy all year round. And I think that's what saved me. Like a lot of the people that didn't even lift at the level I did and maybe didn't even do it nearly as long. Like let's say they got 10 good years in, but they train balls out all day, every day. They're, they can't lift their shoulder up. You know, they got no pecs left. Their hips are replaced. Um, you know, their knees are replaced. And, and those are the people that probably train a little bit too hard. Mm. So talk to me about that intervention let's say with uh with big old Stu. so i met dr mcgill in may of 2013 and i tried all the traditional pathways of getting my back better you know i went and got the epidurals i went to the neurosurgeon the orthopedic pain management um got the injections did the you know cookie cutter physical therapy i tried things on my own i tried hanging upside down with bands I tried the reverse hyper. I tried stretching. I tried all those things to no avail. And so when I got to Dr. McGill, after struggling through the Arnold again in 2013 with my back, just killing me, I went up and when he agreed to see me, I went there as if I were a complete beginner to lifting, left the ego at the door and just said, all right, you know, I'm your student, whatever you need me to do, I'll do. But with the caveat being, I'm going to come back and lift once we get this figured out. So I succumb to the process. And I think a lot of the people that I work with, you know, I, I work with people on every continent pretty much, right? Except for Antarctica. So I got people, I got people in Australia and Europe and Asia, North America, of course. But what I've noticed is a lot of people don't get better because they just won't commit to the process. And it's because they have fresh back pain. I don't really help many people with fresh back pain. And the people with fresh back pain that come to me and they think that I'm so rigid about stopping training, backing off, um, recovering some, it, it sounds like I'm a, a crazy person to them, but it isn't crazy to the person that's tried 10 different people and failed with every attempt. So most of the people that I see are starting to succumb or have succumbed. A lot of them are borderline suicidal. Um, a lot of them have lost their lives, their livelihood, their significant other. And they're at rock bottom, so they're willing to try anything. But I think one of the reasons why I was able to adhere to the progress or process so much was because I tried everything, but I humbled myself and just said, hey, teach me how to move. Teach me what exercises to do. Teach me how to lift better with uh, you know better stiffening and bracing. But I'm going to get back and do my thing. So that's basically what I did. Teach me how to move. That really stood out to me, right? A lot of people get so frustrated and so fixated on the kilos on the bar or the pounds on the bar and be like, no, no, coach, coach says I have to hit 400. I got to hit 400. I was like, yeah, it might not be today. Like, that's okay. You know, can you move well without a bar? 
can you squat below parallel and everything moves well okay then maybe we talk about barbells you know like yeah. um me and a good friend of mine and a lot of coaches that will will be on the kind of cdp of of the world so to speak we um we have a lot of conversations regarding youth athletes a lot of like okay cool like what should be the progression for these youth athletes if they come in around 13 you know and then we want them to peak in their 20s you know we if they want to go play pro ball, fantastic. But we're probably not going to max out the power clean or the deadlift or the back squat straight away. It's like, no, can they do a push-up? Can they hang from a barbell? Can they do an air squat? You know, have they got the conditioning to do three burpees without throwing up? You know, and right. I, mate, a lot of the time, they can't even lunge. They've got zero balance. They've got zero proprioception. You're like, well, the fuck are we doing? You know, mm -hmm. and then if we're, if say, for example, we just have a, standard gpp gym just a random average joe's gym a lot of the folk that are going to walk through the door are going to be in the same boat you know they didn't do anything in high school they didn't do anything in college you know they might have done a little bit of netball or a little bit of uh, american football and that's about it they've never been taught how to move so right. their, their movement patterns is actually dog shite and then we're like cool here's a barbell fucking let's go hard yeah you know no pain no gain you're like the the lifespan of this athlete now is like what two years less than yeah it's not, it's not very long for sure yeah you, you start with the the foundation and i think a big mistake that a lot of people make too is they there's nothing wrong with the barbell lifts i'm one of the biggest advocates in the world for the barbell lifts probably agree you probably agree uh yep. you know along with that but um at the same time the bright tool has to be the correct the tool needs to be correct for the job. Yeah. And if you're an American footballer, let's say you're a middle linebacker, here's the position you stay in. You're here. Here's your position right here. And you're, and you're going side to side. You never, your hips never get any lower than this. That's mm -hmm. the lowest your hips ever go. So if you're a middle linebacker and your coach is having you squat Olympic style ass to the grass and you get hurt, because you don't have the configurations to sit your ass on the ground. You've ruined an NFL football player with a $10 million contract for what? Squatting significantly lower is not going to make you a better squatter. You need to tune the athlete for the demands of their sport. But if they're an Olympic lifter, they need to catch the clean in the bottom and the snatch in the bottom. They need to have their ass on the ground. But they're not an American football player. So I think one of the biggest mistakes that people make is they just want to turn footballers or – uh, hell, even like different athletes that, that are even more disconnected from a strength uh, aspect, like baseballers into powerlifters and stuff or fighters into powerlifters. And that's not what you should be doing. A lot of the times you're still going to be doing a hinge, a push, a pull, a press overhead, but you can use kettlebells. You can use dumbbells. You can, you don't have to load up a barbell with the, on their back with the axial load. You don't need to have them deadlifting from the floor with a straight bar where they can tear their bicep off and ruin their career. And, um, you know, they don't need to be trying to bench press 500 pounds. Now some, some can do that, but I think that's why we see so many injuries with people because they just try to turn everyone into a strength athlete when they need tuned athleticism, you know, getting them stronger may help them. It may hurt them. It just depends on the particular athlete and their weak points. You know, it's like it's it's coaches trying to hide their incompetencies by teaching SPD. Here's a barbell, 
I can, I'm comfortable coaching a bench press, a back squat, a fucking deadlift. You're like, oh, I'm just going to make this athlete do this. And here's Wendler 531 or five fives or let's do fucking whatever. And you're like, mm. cool. Do you know this individual? First of all, how are they doing as a person? Cool. Second of all, what, what do they do? It's a netballer. Mm. It's a fucking NFL player. It's a baseballer. It's a European soccer, like whatever the fuck it is. It's like, what, what do they do? Right. What's the demands? Do they need a frigging back squat? Do they need to be able to yeah. snatch? You know, that's another question that we have all the time. Does an individual need to be able to snatch? Well, it depends, right? Most yeah, of the yeah. things that we we have a conversation about in our realm is like, well, it depends. We need to understand the individual. Oh, the fucking shoulders here. Mm-hmm. I can't get it above head. Like, yeah, I'm probably not going to do that, guys. You know, I was like, oh, I um play tennis. For a living, I was like, "Cool, shoulders are going to be real strong and powerful, real mobile." Mm-hmm. The what's what's the uh, rate of injury here? What's the yeah. probability? Why would I do that? Why do you need to be able to snatch a barbell? Yeah, PVC right. pipe maybe because it might be cool and we can be off season or whatever. But yeah, it's I think it's I think it's hiding inadequacy. I think it yeah. is because it's one of those things. As we know, it's easy to get into, right? Fitness is easy to get into as a, we'll use the term professional, someone that mm-hmm. earns money doing it. But to get good at it, it is unbelievably fucking hard. Yeah, it is. Just the constant education and networking and talking and questions of like, hey, hey, Brian, what would you do with this? It's like, oh, well... It would, it would depend on da, 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 and you open up another conversation, right? You need to shove that ego to the side and be like, hmm, I'm not quite too sure. Like I have conversations with my brother at least once a week, lasts about two hours on the phone. Be like, yo, I got this athlete. What would you do? He'd do the same. I think we need those conversations rather than fucking, you know, Instagram, let me make a sexy reel. I've got my shirt off. Let's do some fucking ab exercise with some baby oil on me and I'm going to sell more programs. I'm like, fuck off. Like, are you really going to make healthy people for one, better athletes for two? And then are you going to be able to stick those two together and and uh, address them as human beings? I would say no. But Have you ever met any of those guys before, like in person? Like some of the really popular um, influencers? Like, uh, have you ever had like a conversation with them or like met them? I find it really hard. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of them them are just, uh, they're just, it's just marketing. You talk to them, if they have a script, they're just a good looking dummy. I find it really fucking hard, man. Like, yeah. You see through the bullshit, right? It's like you don't hold a, you don't hold a uh, conversation with any sustenance. You know, you scratch below the surface, you're like, oh, it's hollow in there. Okay, cool. (laughs) Cheers for your time. They're blessed and gifted with great genetics, you know, and no matter what they do, they get better in spite of it. I've seen many athletes like that eat terrible, never eat hardly a hundred grams of protein a day, you know, train once or twice a week. And they just are built like a Mack truck. And, and it's just, but eventually it caught up with, with, with people like that, you know, they didn't get away with it forever, but seemingly, um, some people can get away with more than others for sure, depending on genetics. Some people get lucky, man. They could just do a couple crunches and have a ripped six pack. 
then other people can work their whole life and take every drug and known the man and never get a six pack. Yeah. I've known people like that too, that almost killed themselves taking so much drugs that they never even hardly looked like they work out, but they're taking so many drugs that their liver enzymes came back 1956. They're supposed to be under 30, 1956. He was John this, he was about to kill himself, but all in the name of trying to look good for a bodybuilding show. And he didn't even look like he worked out. But on the other hand, you have someone that looks at weights and takes a D-ball pill and then they just turn into, you know, like Ronnie Coleman, you know, it's just, it's, it's interesting for sure. I almost uh, feel sad for people who get it quote unquote easy or naturally, I should say, because they, they, they don't get the lessons of hard work. You know, you mentioned about consistency and you did it for 20 years. Yeah. Eventually, you know, okay, that chapter's turned. Let's do something else. But it's that consistency piece. That's the secret sauce. You know, every day you got to dig a hole, right? But each every day is going to be a different implement. Some days you might have to go out with a teaspoon rather than a massive fucking shovel. It's like, Mm -hmm. you you just got to go do something, do work. And I feel like those individuals that can look at a weight and blow up or can, and just naturally powerful, they're always going to play ball. They were always going to make their money through sport. Like, I almost look at them in a way of feel sorry for them. It's like, oh, you're going to finish this thing and everyone's going to idolize idealize you. And as soon as it's over, you're going to have no idea how the world works, no mm-hmm. idea who the fuck you are, and no idea what to do now. Yeah, and, and they're not going to be a good coach. Oh, fuck no. <laughs> they're not going to be a good coach at all. Because they didn't learn really anything. They learned it worked for them, but not everyone can eat, you know, burgers and fries and, you know, go in and compete in Mr. Olympia stage like some people can. They died yeah. for a couple of weeks and they just stay shredded. But when they when they retire and it goes to the point where they want to start coaching and guiding people, the things that they did, which were skating through the process, they're not they're gonna be a terrible coach because they, they didn't understand what it took to get there, you know. I got a question regarding, let's say, chapter two. All right, turn the page on on the competing side, going into more to the coaching side. What are you trying to create? What are you trying to build? What are you trying to find in this new chapter? So I'm currently working with and helping as many people as I can with their back. So that is the definition of uh, my goal for chapter two. And that's uh, virtually. I work with people virtually and I have people that come here you know, I started off in uh, 2002. I went to school to be a massage therapist. I worked as a massage therapist for a while. So that gave me my background in anatomy and physiology. And then getting with Stu 10 years after that, and then deep diving into the uh, the spine and uh, fixing myself, rebuilding myself, and then helping other people has been the focal point for me. And so my goal is to get my name out there, to continue to get my name out there, um, have people read Gift of Injury. We got it now in multiple different languages. Here's uh, Polish and then Korean. We just signed with wow. Chinese and um, we got an Italian version. We got it in a bunch of different languages. So my goal is for people to understand that back pain or back injury is not a death sentence and you can get better. So I work with people that are, you know, A-lister, A-listers in Hollywood that just hurt their back. And then I work with the average Joe that just wants to be able to 
pick their baby up out of the crib and then top of the world powerlifters too. So I got a little bit of everything that I work with, but my goal is get them, help get them better to tell them the truth, give them a good program, give them good guidance as their consultant. And, uh, that's, that's what I like to do, help people with their problems. And, um, my goal is to help as many people as possible. What is the main thing you've learned from coaching that massive spectrum of people? Main, main thing. Hmm. Main thing that I've learned is just because someone's poor doesn't mean they're dumb. And just because someone's very, very wealthy doesn't mean they're smart. I've worked with royalty. I've worked with A-listers. I've worked with people that had to get a loan to do a consult with me, right? Work with people that are on welfare. Just because someone has a, a low social status does not mean that they are not intelligent. And also another thing too is you can't always go by how intelligent someone is through technology. For instance, I've emailed with people back and forth. I'm like, this person is a moron. But then you get them on the on the on the virtual, or they come here and they're highly intelligent, run high end businesses. They're just not with the technology very well, and they can't spell. So you can't mm. always judge a book by its cover. With that said, sometimes I've gotten idiots, and they've become idiots, and I've had to not work with them anymore. But I guess the overarching theme that I've I've learned, especially in the last five years, is that people that need their back to be better, people that come to me for their back pain, people that are trying to fix their back, they have to be their number one best advocate. They got to make it a top priority in their life, especially if they failed with other procedures or other approaches. They got to make it a top priority up there with, you know, their work or whatever. It's got to be up there, whether it be God, family, back or whatever it is, they've got to have it up there on the hierarchy uh, otherwise, they're going to fail. It's got to be something they put a lot of effort into. And I relate to that. I made it my number one. When I was doing this in 2013, it was my number one priority. You know, didn't care about clients. I cared about them. But if I needed to sit down to stay away from my back pain of compression standing, I would sit. If they said something. I'm trying to avoid my back getting sore. Keep doing your sets. You know, it's not like I went and laid down in the office, but you have to be selfish if you really want to get your back fixed and um, you can't want someone's back fixed more than they want it. There's your, there's your biggest thing that I've learned. You can't want someone's goal more than they want it. It won't work. You can lead a horse to water, right? But you can't make yep. a drink. Right. Yeah. I think one of the first pieces of advice I was ever given when I got into coaching, right. And I think about it probably maybe once a week, right. It still mm -hmm. breaks me is you can't save them all. No. And it's hard, right? Because to do a role that we do, we inevitably want to help people. Otherwise, we'd go do something else that makes faster dollars. Right. right? Like it takes a lot of time and effort. You want to help another human being. All right, so. But some people just don't want to be helped. Nope. They just want to talk about their problems. They want to and, talk shit, uh, complain. Yeah whinge yeah. moan and inevitably do the same shit and end up in the same spot it's it's sad mate it really is yeah you can't help everybody not everyone gets out of pain at least not with you sometimes it's not a good fit either yeah um and i've learned that you know sometimes it's not a good fit with the 
where the person is in their life and what your expect expectations are with the client coach relationship. Um, I mean, I, I've let plenty of people go or like referred them somewhere else or just said that I can't, I think it's better you work with someone else. And I can usually tell within the first couple of email exchanges, um, I'll give people free advice in the first email or two. If they disregard it, it's probably not going to work well. Because if you're not listening to free advice that's very helpful, then you don't trust me. And if you don't trust me, you're not going to listen. Mm. I don't understand how somebody wouldn't give free advice a crack if they're really in that dire spot of my back is forked and it is negatively impacting life. And here you go. Here's a professional, somebody qualified in this saying, yeah, blah, 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 blah. They've sought you out. It's not like you've gone and knocked on their door as a door-to-door -door salesman. No, no, no. I don't want to buy a TV. I've sought you out. Right? Oh, here's some free advice. I would be chomping at the bit. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. I'm doing it right now as I'm emailing back at you. I've had people that. reach out to me on a Thursday night saying, Doc wants to do surgery on Monday, but I don't think it's right for me. And so I make time for them on Friday. They blow me off. Don't take my advice. I gave them some suggestions. They get surgery. And then they're hitting me up on, uh, on uh, you know, a week after that, ghosted me. And then saying, hey, I'd like to talk to you about my rehab. And they still haven't followed the steps that I told them to do pre-surgery. Uh, I don't think we should work together, man. You know, you could have avoided the surgery because of the things that you're telling me. You could at least delayed it for a while. Yeah. It wasn't an emergency surgery. It wasn't like you couldn't hold your bladder. You know, your leg wasn't dead, right? You could still walk. The doctor was just being aggressive, overly aggressive. And I was trying to tell you this, but you decided you didn't want to book the call. I think it's best you find uh, someone else to help you with the process. Why Why do you think um, a lot of doctors push patients, people, more towards the surgery route than... The hairy fairy hippy dippy, which we're kind of seen to be in rehab preventative route, right? Why do you think they they push them into the under the knife? Well, I don't know. I think a lot of it is just a lack of updated information. The system's broken worldwide. It isn't just in North America. It isn't just in Europe. It isn't just in Australia. It isn't, it's all over the world. It's broken. Here in the United States, in Canada, Europe, when I talk to someone, they went to the doctor, the general practitioner never, ever talks to the radiologist who never talks to the pain management doctor. I don't know what the hell that is about. Why am I getting balloons there? Did you see that? <laughs> yeah, I thought, you, I thought you were giving me a present. No, anyway. The, the doctor never communicates. So then they they the fourth person ends up being the surgeon. And none of these four people communicate and say, hey, look, we got Joe Blow here. He's a 300 pounder. He's big. He hurt. He hurt his back squatting. It hurts when he bends forward. Look for in plate damage and edema. Look for um, posterior disc bulges. Look for this. Look for that. All they have is, is, is the radiologist reading a report, never meeting the person. Then they send it to the pain management who never talks to the radiologist back to the general practitioner who never talks to anyone. So surgery is just the, the thing that they think that it's the only thing they have, they think to fix it, but it's not true. Most people can avoid back surgery 
like 95% of people that we've come across can avoid it. Some people do need a back surgery. They need a fusion if they've been in a car accident or something, or if they've really greatly herniated a disc and it's all over the nerve root, we can't get it to go back. We can't get it off the nerve root. They need a microdisectomy. But most people should not be getting microdisectomies, especially if they have pain, pain in their back or if they can get the pain to move. People with unrelenting leg pain and other such uh, symptoms are candidates for microdisectomies if they can prove it's coming from that level, L4, L5, L5S1, what level it, whatever level it is. But people just, man, I've had so many clients come to me and say, okay, the doctor went through my, um, they went, they went through my lamina and uh, they saw the disc wasn't bulged. So they put me back together and, and took me off the table. So I didn't get a microdisectomy. They're always doing dumb shit like that. And that's why I tell people to be very hesitant to get surgery and uh, it should be a last resort. Yeah, it's never truly off the table, right? But right. it should be the last resort. You're like, hey guys, have we have we fucking tried something something else? Rather than and, just slicing us open and having a little bit of a look. And the and the rehab fails the people too because they have multiple people going at the same time. Yeah. There's a cookie cutter for low back pain because they treat it as non-specific low back pain. They don't treat it whether it's a facet or a ligament or a vertebra or disc or whatever it may be, they just say, oh, back pain. All right, now do the McKinsey press-ups and now uh, knees to chest and now flatten your palms on the ground. How do you feel? Okay, I'll see you next week. And, that, and that's what happens every single time. Every time I talk to someone, what are you doing? I'm doing windshield wipers. I'm doing knee to chest. I'm, I'm doing all this other goofy stuff. And a lot of the time you get them to stop doing that and just chill out for a bit. They start feeling significantly better. Do some clamshells. Yeah. <laughs> With a fucking uh, tiny little rubber band. It's like, guys, yeah. like you squat like 140 kilos. You squat fucking whatever. You deadlift whatever. Do you think that tiny ass band is going to put you back together? Come right. on, mate. Like, let's use some common sense. Right. But, hmm. Bro, I got three questions. Okay. What's the greatest piece of life advice you've ever received? Greatest piece of life advice. Treat treat everyone as your equal. Whether they are on, you know, in the hierarchy of, of social status or whatever it is, they're still with you, or if they're homeless or whatever, treat everyone equal, treat everyone the same. So at the same time, you're not disrespecting someone else just because you think you may be whatever, better at them, more informed. Also, don't think that you're a peasant just because someone is a, you know, a prince or a movie star or whatever. You treat them just the same. And I've been able to do that. You know, mm. I've been able to do that with the person that, as I said earlier, the person that has to scrounge money together and make payments on PayPal to see me. Or if I'm, you know, flown across the world to see someone very important, it's the same thing. You know, I, I treat people with respect, but I also expect it back. And if I don't get it, I can't be upset about it or hurt. I just got to move on and, and go to the next person, you know? 100%. Respect is given, not earned. I genuinely believe that, you know, it's like, you don't have to earn my respect. I don't feel like I'm a messiah, you know? It's like, no, 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 no. I'll respect the shit out of you until it is then lost, right? And then that's okay, yeah. cool. We can we can cross paths. It doesn't matter. We can go different ways. You don't always have to be pally-pally with people, but 
Yeah, respect is given. There's a spectrum of like uh, where you are, forgiveness and reconciliation. Mm. Sometimes it's just like, oh, I just forgive that person for being a jerk or whatever. You may not ever want to barbecue with them again, right? Reconciliation is way over there. You make good. You reconcile the relationship. All of us deep down, I think, with people we've had fallen outs with or, or tiffs with, we would love to reconcile the relationship and put it back the way it was before. That's not always possible. In a, in a utopia, we would do that. We would, you know, go back to this person and that person. No, you, it, it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. If you can just get back to kind of letting it go there in the middle and not being angry about it, that's that's good enough most of the time. Yeah, move on. Yep. What's the worst piece of life advice you've ever received? Um, I don't know that I've gotten such terrible life advice. I've had good people speaking into my life most of my life um but probably something like date as many girls as you can and, and don't <laughs> care the person who cares the least wins yeah and there's some truth to not caring too much about things that don't matter but i think it's dangerous if you try to have that same attitude with people that are important in your life like not caring about your wife or whatever not you know you, you got to have some investment there where you could possibly get uh, hurt, you know, by being close to them. So if you don't care, you're never going to have the best benefits of life and the emotion, emotional mm-hmm. side of that. So mm-hmm. whoever cares the, the least wins. I don't, I don't believe that maybe in business. Mm. Take an emotion out. Mm. Yep. But you can't I, apply that to your wife or your daughters. Fuck no, mate. Then you're an yeah. asshole. <laughs> yep, exactly. All right. We got one more question. It's, what are the three words you would tell your younger self? Take your time. Oof. Oof. So I had a, I had a, I had a talk with one of my friends that I graduated with. He went from a magnet school to public school, and we joined in twelfth grade. We were out on the porch smoking a cigar the other day, and uh, we're talking about the past that we've made in the last uh, 25 years. It's been 25 years almost since we graduated. And I said, I never understood when people were going off to the Navy right away and going to college and university and all these things. When we had career day my senior year of high school, I hit out. I hadn't, didn't want to talk to anyone about it because I didn't know what I wanted to do. But I also knew there was no rush. So mm-hmm. I had that down. At least I didn't go and make you know some really terrible decisions right out of high school. But I just knew inherently what's the rush take your time you'll figure it out i'm just now starting to figure it out over the last five or ten years but um definitely taking my time is something i wish i would have uh, done even more and slowed down i wish i could have like seen like the next 20 years even though i did well right after high school and didn't rush i still wish i had taken my time more in my 20s and 30s and enjoyed it that's beautiful mate take your time that's really hit me. I think I'm uh, I'm definitely going to be digesting that over the next few weeks. Yeah, good. I hope it helps. Brother, thank you so much for your time, man. This has been an honor and a privilege. You're welcome. Uh, I'll have to get over to the Gatorville and we get some lifting up. Sounds good, man. All right, well, let me know when it goes live and everything and we'll, uh, we'll do it. Well, right, I'll man. push it out. Amazing. Thank you, bro. All right, thank you. You, you have you. a great day. You too. Cheers, brother. Speak soon, bro. Bye. Bye, everybody.